a word of warning. We're going to be talking about sexual assault in this episode. So if that's upsetting for you, do take care. For the past five months, I've been investigating Jan Karbat, the Dutch fertility doctor who used his own sperm to father more than 60 children without his patient's knowledge or consent. I've met the Karbat kids. You're constantly screening people in your surroundings uh, if they have the same resemblance. You were paranoid that you might be running into a a sibling. Yeah, and and, and that's why I also did a DNA test with my husband, just to be sure. I met the journalist who recorded Karbat's last proper interview. He was a guy who didn't like rules, who wanted to be as effective as possible. The sperm donor who Karbat allowed to donate thousands of times. We all want to plant our flags one way or the other. And I did plant my flag. I plant 200 flags. And I've explored some of the stories of the many other doctors around the world who've done exactly the same thing. He said he was trying to help desperate patients, and then he quoted this version of a Bible verse, I knew you in your mother's womb. For me, it felt like such a huge, not only an ethical violation, but how is this not a crime? I've been trying to understand why Carbat did what he did and the impact he had on the generations of people whose lives he touched, all of whom are victims in very different ways. But there's a voice I haven't been able to hear yet. I haven't spoken to any of the women who were Carbat's patients and were deceived into carrying his children. Until now. We've been searching so long for a Carbat mother who will talk to us and it actually turns out that If we want to talk to someone, we're going to have to go to Spain. Always I hear the donor children, the donor children. I say, oh, wait a minute. And the mothers? You hear nothing from the mothers. Nobody. I'm Jenny Kleeman. And from something else, this is The Immaculate Deception. Episode 5. The Mother. We are certainly not in Holland anymore. (laughs) It's all kind of rugged landscape, jagged mountains. Oh yeah, there's a sign for Benidorm. Here we are. In fact, you can tell that we're in Benidorm because all of a sudden in this beautiful desolate landscape, there's these enormous high-rise towers. Benidorm is a seaside resort on Spain's Mediterranean coast. It's a big tourist destination and a popular spot for retired Northern Europeans looking for some winter sun. We're on our way to see Lydia, who is um, one of Carbat's former patients. We contacted Peter on Facebook. Peter's her son. We found Peter, her son. We we got together a list of names of all of the Carbat children we could, and we contacted everyone that we could possibly find. Peter was one of them. I dropped him a line on Facebook. um, Didn't hear anything for a week or so? Yeah, didn't hear anything for a week, and then he sent a message saying hey, I'd be happy to talk. And so you called him, didn't you? You rang him up, had a chat with him. I did. We talked for about half an hour and then he put me in touch with Lydia, his mum. 
Lydia Moret can tell me what happened to patients in Carbat's clinic and how she ended up carrying her doctor's child. I want to know how she conceptualises what happened to her. Was it fraud? Was it assault? I want to know what Carbat was like when he was treating her. I want to know what it was like to be in that building with the stalk. Um, and I want to know what she thinks of her son now that she knows who his father is. Okay, vamos. There you go, there's my Spanish. We headed down to Lydia's apartment in a high rise on the seafront. It's got that wonderful smell. That's not her there, is it? 12E? Yeah. Okay, well, I'll just do 12. Ah, she's here already. We thought it was you. Hi, hello. Hi, Lydia. I'm Jenny. Nice to meet you. Okay. We thought we saw you, but yeah. we weren't I sure. thought, I wait here and I can see the taxi. Ah, uh, we must have just missed you. Yes. We got distracted by the dog wearing sunglasses. Yes. Lydia's hard to miss. She has an animated face and a broad and dazzling smile, which was framed with brilliant red lipstick that morning. She talks with her arms and she's very tactile. She greeted Paul and me with warm hugs, even though we'd only just met. Yeah, what a treat. She introduced me to Fred, her second husband. They met online in 2004. Hello, Fred. Hello. You'll hear Fred's voice throughout this interview. His English is better than Lydia's, so she asked him to stay and help her with translation. Do you have a lot of over there in Great Britain? We do. We don't see a lot of Fred. <laughs> yeah, what do you do during the day here in Benidorm? What do you do? You walk on the beach? The beach, you're walking, uh, we go uh, shopping, uh, you go to friends, you go... Yesterday we been uh, in uh, Eat Café. We have been to a restaurant. Yeah, in a restaurant, and it was uh, uh, music, singers, singers. We have been dancing yesterday. A lovely evening. A beautiful weather. The main reason is that for the weather. Yeah, yeah well, I can see that. And <laughs> you've got an amazing view here. We're looking, you know, you wake up in the morning and you see the sea and the yeah. beach is hey. so beautiful. We were meeting Lydia less than a year after she found out the truth about her eldest son, Peter's paternity. I hear it, and like, oh my God. Yeah, I was in shock, I'm crying. I'm crying. Why? How can you do it? It's not God. Lydia's story begins in Rotterdam in the 1970s. She'd left school aged just 13, her mother was pregnant and she wanted her daughter's help at home. Lydia told me she did housework and looked after her four brothers. She missed out on having a normal teenage life. A few years later, she needed to start earning a living and she found herself an office job. One of her work friends introduced Lydia to her brother. And I said, how are you like my brother? I said, Ooh. The man's name was Halp. Lydia brought him chocolates. He was kind and religious. And he was for the church. My God. I was sweet and he was in love with me. I think, okay, I can out the house. Help was a ticket to a new life, a new family, freedom. 
21, we are married. And uh, 23, we like a baby. And uh, we try, we try. And uh, six months, no baby, not pregnant. And I go to the doctor and the doctor said, come back a year. Lydia did give it a year, still nothing. She went back to her family doctor. And he said, okay, go to the hospital. She was prodded, examined and tested to try and work out why she wasn't conceiving. They monitored her temperature. Every day, temp. So he was trying to check when you were ovulating. Yes, yes. Many of the procedures she went through were much more invasive. Uh, Looking in my buik, an operation, looking to the eierstokken. Ovaries. My eierstokken. She had to make many trips to that hospital. Then, later, uh, you must have... uh, Sex with your husband, mm. and you go to the hospital, and they are looking a few times, waiting, waiting. It was exhausting, frustrating, and completely demoralizing. Lydia just couldn't get pregnant. Her family and friends kept asking her what was wrong. All the other people and mothers have a baby, always. Pregnant, pregnant, pregnant. When you're you're looking, all your your girlfriends, all were pregnant. Lydia felt totally alone and tormented by her lack of a child. She tried old wives' tales, alternative therapies. You make pictures of your eyes and then uh, you're drinking tea. Kruider tea. A herbal. A herbal tea. Herbal tea. (laughs) (laughs) Ugh. Uh, big say every day we try it because you never know you like a baby for your husband so you tried everything you tried everything no baby there's not a, a child for us she felt like she was the problem in the 70s and 80s and still today Infertility is always initially assumed to be a problem with women's bodies. But eventually, when they'd given Lydia every test they could think of, the doctors turned their attention to her husband and checked his sperm. Bring sperma to the hospital. And the first time, it was not good. Uh, Second time, it's not good. They gave him more tests. Take blood of my husband and send it to... Amsterdam, and a few months waiting, and then we hear it's not good. No, no children. Help was infertile. The people thought I was the problem. Yes. She's not so quickly. Mm. But they're not thinking the husband. So how did you feel then when you had that news? I was broken. Hmm. Mm. Sorry. No. It must have been devastating. And how was you, how did your husband feel? The same. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's the same. 
Would it be true to say that in those days people didn't talk about problems like that, even husband and wife, you would just keep quiet when you had problems like that? Ja. Het uh, feeling, het is, ja, hoe noem je dat? Heel gevoelig. Ja, het is very sensitive. Lydia was still desperate for a child. I was constant, baby, 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 baby. That's all you could think And, about. Yes. They thought about adopting, but decided it wasn't for them. And then they remembered something their doctor had told them a year ago. The doctor, he said, uh, I have a doctor, Dr. Kabat. And uh, there you can go to for a donor. Very good doctor, you have... De crème de la crème. Go to Kabat. They tried everything else. This was the only option left. I go to Barendrecht. To Jan Karbat's clinic. You have a gesprek. A conversation. A conversation with the doctor, Dr. Kabat. And he said, we're looking for a donor. He looks like your husband. He told them he'd screen the anonymous donor for diseases and that... Not more than 20 uh, vrouwen, women, women, women. 20 women is inseminated. No more than 20 women would be inseminated with the same donor's sperm. Lydia and Halp thought it over and decided to go for it. Okay, we have uh, vertrouwen. Confidence. We have confidence in the, in the karbaat. And we say, okay... Lydia couldn't drive, so she'd make the 15-minute journey to Barendrecht with a friend who was also having fertility treatment with Karbat. And she picked me up and we go to Karbat. What was it like in the waiting room? How did you feel in the waiting room? Oh, we have contact with uh, other mothers. I have, I beat uh, my girlfriends. You talk to other women with? Yeah, I talk to everyone. You talk to everyone? Always. I, always. I can understand that, Lydia. <laughs> What did you talk about? All things. But when you go inside, I'm nervous. Lydia would always come dressed in the same way. A white clothes. Oversize. You wore big, large dresses? Yeah. Why? Because you wanted it done quickly? You'll not see me. Then you're only your... Yeah. Yeah. She wanted to hide her body from the doctor. And was it painful, the insemination? No, 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 no. No, only, yeah, I'm ashamed. I'm ashamed. You were ashamed? Yes. I'm not a cow, mm. you know? It's not normal. At least the procedure was quick. A speculum was put inside her and the sperm inserted through it. Often there was a nurse doing it. But sometimes Carbat did it himself. What were your impressions of him? Oh, I found it. Yeah, I can't keep on. You're shivering there, shuddering. Yes, yeah. He gave you the creeps. Yeah. And uh, he tried to put my teeth. He tried to touch your breasts? Yes, yes. yes. She was cupping her chest here to show me how he was leering at the size of her breasts. <laughs> yes, I... Oof. So he was making jokes about your breasts whilst he was inseminating you? No, yeah, you. I don't know. This is, uh, I, I had a girlfriend and she walked in the same time to the Karbat. 
En ik zei always tegen, ze, te, uh, tegen haar... Oh, you smell so nice. Oh, you smell so nice. You smell so nice. Yes. So you felt at the time that he was crossing boundaries that he shouldn't be, that he was behaving like a doctor shouldn't behave with his patient. Yes. Lydia didn't say anything. She didn't report Carbat's inappropriate behaviour and she continued going to him for treatment. She needed him. Would it be right to say that you were thinking, you were just thinking about having a baby and that that's yeah, what you were focused on? Yeah, only on the baby. I have not told my husband what he tried to do with me. I don't, oh no, I like a baby. I like a baby. I, I tell nothing. Yeah. You know? You wouldn't want your husband to know because you, want to, you wanted to continue the treatment because yeah. you wanted a baby. Yeah. And I uh, go uh, uh, three times in a week, sometimes four or five. This carried on for two years. And then one day... Ow! Your breasts. Yeah, yes. Pain in your body. Yes. In your breasts. Yes. And I feel my... A balloon. You felt swollen. Yes. And I'm just trying to translate this for because, of course, the people listening to this aren't going to be able to see you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you swelled up. You had yes. pain in your breasts. I was like, Michelin, up. Yes. Michelin. <laughs> you were like the Michelin woman. Yeah. Yes. She went to the chemist and bought a pregnancy test. Pee-pee. Yeah, you peed on it. Yeah. When, you, when you saw the results, how did you feel? Early. Ah, I'm pregnant. Yes. Miracle. All the people say, oh, a wonder, a miracle, a miracle. You're, you're pregnant now. Lydia went back to Carbat. And he did a test. He said, you are pregnant. I said, yes. He said, you create a beautiful uh, child, beautiful. And he is in- intelligent, high. And tall. Yes. Tall and smart. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And when the baby is born, give me an, um, a picture. He wanted to see a photograph of the yes. baby. He yes. helped you can see. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. In January 1982... Lydia gave birth to a son, Peter. He was so beautiful. Oh, a beautiful child, yes. His eyes, his hair, his... Complete, this was perfect. Welcome to True Spies. The podcast that takes you deep inside the greatest secret missions of all time. Suddenly out of the dark, it's appeared in Laden. You'll meet the people who live life undercover. What do they know? What are their skills? And what would you do in their position? Vengeance felt good. Seeing these people pay for what they'd done felt righteous. True Spies from Spyscape Studios. Wherever you get your podcasts. Have you ever felt like escaping to your own desert island? Jane Gaskin did exactly that, trading in the family home to begin a new life in the tropics. But she soon discovers that paradise has its secrets. I'm Alice Levine, and this is The Price of Paradise, the island dream that ends in kidnap, corruption, and murder. Wish you were here? Follow The Price of Paradise now, wherever you listen to podcasts.
1982, after two years of treatment with Cobat, Lydia Moret finally had the baby she'd wanted so much. Two years after Peter was born, she and her husband Halp wanted another child. Lydia began going to Carbat's clinic again. Carbat told her he was using sperm from the same anonymous donor, so Peter and his sibling would have the same mother and father. She had a positive pregnancy test, followed by a miscarriage. But then, a year later, she gave birth to another son. And Lydia noticed something the moment he was born. I saw, I think, it's not the same. Why? Describe the differences. Yes, his, his face, his nose, his ears, his, his eyes, his fingers, his, his tones. He looked nothing like Peter. It's not uncommon for siblings to look different, but as they grew up, Lydia noticed her boys had different personalities too. Peter is... Uh... Moeilijk. Narcissist. Narcissist. Yes. To show me what she meant, Lydia pulled out her phone and scrolled through photos of Peter as an adult when he was representing the Netherlands in a bodybuilding competition. He was bronzed, oiled and huge. When her sons were teenagers, Lydia told me people would comment on the lack of family resemblance. Oh, Peter, not look like you, Huip. Mm. And not you, Lydia. How is possible? All the time, Lydia was carrying this huge secret. Dr. Kabat, he said, it's better not to tell the children from a donor. It's, it's better for the children. It's better for the children not yes. to know their donor conceived. Yeah. And my husband, yes, he was not normal, you see. His sap was not good. Mm. And I have respect. I said, OK, we know tell the kid children. Lydia kept the secret out of respect for her husband, Halp. She didn't want him to feel ashamed or humiliated. Then, in 2003, Halp was diagnosed with colon cancer. He was only 56, but he deteriorated rapidly. Four months later, he was dying. Lydia asked him, could she finally tell her sons the truth about how they were conceived? I said, shall I tell them, the, the boys, both now? They say, no, 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 it was secret. Even on his deathbed, he didn't want his children to know no, that yes. he wasn't their biological no. father. I must promise not to tell the, child, uh, the children. But very soon after Halp's death, Lydia found herself in a difficult situation. Peter had health issues and he knew that colon cancer can sometimes be hereditary. He was anxious. Lydia was torn. Oh, what must I do? I have promise. I go to the doctor. I say, yeah, what now? He said, tell the boys. I asked the domine. Noem heet dan domine? Uh, the, the pastor the, van de church. The priest, yeah. Yes, the domine. I said, what? I have a problem. What must I do? He said, you must tell them. She said, I have promised. And I've broken the, the promise. A few days later, Lydia told Peter that Halp was not his biological father. And Peter took it well. He wasn't that surprised. He said that he'd always felt different, and this explained it. 
But Lydia couldn't answer his question about who his donor father was because she didn't know herself. In June 2019, Peter rang Lydia. He was in a state. He called me and he was crying. I said, what's the problem? He said, mom, my donor is Karwaat. I hear it. I think, oh my God. No. Everyone is okay, but not Karwaat. I was in shock. I'm crying. I'm crying. Why? Terrible. No, I'm not happy. Peter had taken a free DNA test with FIOM, the Dutch organisation set up to help adopted and donor-conceived children. A social worker had called him to break the news that Peter was almost certainly Carbat's son. Although Carbat had been all over the news in the Netherlands by then, Lydia had never imagined he could have been her son's biological father. But now, faced with the truth, it all began to make sense. We go to uh, the restaurant for a mother day and always watching him, I say, of I recognise Kwabat in him. You saw your doctor in your son? Yeah, yes. I try to forget Kwabat, but always Kwabat. When you think back about your pregnancy and when you see photographs of yourself pregnant, is your pregnancy changed in your head? Is it tainted? Uh, the, the feelings uh, the same. My children, my, my children. But the situation, it's what I know now. It's not nice. I don't need to know what to do. What can I do? And I, I, I feel my guilty. I feel my guilty. Why did you feel guilty? Be- yeah. When I did not done this, that he was not born. And now he was born and he's a son of Kabat. You felt that it was your fault? Yes. But it's clearly not your fault. No, it's the I fault know, of this I know. doctor. I feel it. It misbruik me. I feel my ugly. Misused. He abused you. I feel my dirty. You felt dirty? Yes. Because I was in the room, and maybe in the next room, he uh, yes. make sperm. And then he come to me. You felt dirty because he hadn't used frozen sperm. He was using his own fresh yes, sperm. fresh. I feel me bedonderd. I feel me misbruikt. It feels misused. Yeah. It's cheated. Why? Why? Why you do that? Why you have to do that? That you bedreigt. Misbruik. 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 Abused. Abused. Yeah, yes. That's what I'm going to do. Yeah. Yeah. At this point, Fred and Lydia discussed something together in Dutch. And then Lydia told me about something that had happened to her long ago. A warning. This next bit is upsetting. I was a child. I have things make. I make things, and that's... When she was young, she was also misused by a guy. But that happens again with Kabat. She feels like that. 
She told me that when she was eight or nine years old, she was raped by a neighbour. She told her family and they blamed her for it. They eventually went to the police and they moved house, but she was always made to feel responsible and ashamed for allowing it to happen to her. I'm so sorry to make you go over this again. Not matter. Every time. I don't forget this. I'm happy. My husband is... Uh, not, I'm not happy that he's dead, but he not make these things hmm. the same as, as me. You're happy that he doesn't know what has happened? Yeah. 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 I'm happy for him. On the other side of Europe, looking out over the sea, it might seem like Lydia has built a happier life and escaped the traumas of what happened to her in the Netherlands. But she only found out the truth of what Carbat did to her last year. There's so much for her to come to terms with still. In all of this, who's the victim? Is Peter the victim? Are you the victim? The victim? Slachtoffer. Uh, me. Yes. Peter is now lucky because he has many brothers and sisters. I saw him in Rotterdam with his brothers and sisters. He was so lucky. I'm happy for him because he said he see things from himself in the other. Yes. Yes. He's recognizing himself. Yes. Do you feel isolated? Do you feel alone? Yes. Yes. Lydia pointed to Fred, her second husband, who is sitting beside us. He's been at her side throughout all of this, as she discovered how Carbat abused and deceived her 40 years ago. It's been hard for him, too. And I speak with him, and sometimes he say, Oh my God, always donor children, always Carbat. What's my life now? Mm. Of over your children, of other donors... So you, Please, you, Fred, shut your mouth. You, Fred, are fed up of hearing about this. You don't want to hear about it. Generously. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, because I have nothing to do with it. Yeah. I'm not the fault. Yes, he's a constant present it's yeah. in your life. In and my you, life now, yeah. too. Yeah, that's right. Do you feel that she's traumatised by it? Oh, yes. It is very, she's very traumatised by it. Yeah. What is her, it? her whole life is a, is a trauma. Yes. Lydia slumped her shoulders forward and made a gesture as if she had a heavy weight on her back and she was struggling under it. My tush is on my back. Yes. A lot of time on my back. You're always carrying the load of, of, the, of what's happened to you in your life. I can laughing and think, oh, they're laughing. But I'm crying inside. Now outside. <laughs> now outside, Yes. <laughs> I'm really sorry. I'm oh, so no. sorry. To, no. I'm sorry to ask you again and to, to uh, traumatise you with it. The people they must know what has happened. Always I hear the daughter children, the daughter children. I say, oh, wait a minute. And the mothers. Mm. You, you hear nothing from the mothers. Nobody. I can give you an insight into this, though, because I have been trying for months to speak to the mothers. I've really been trying. And 
either the children tell me their mothers don't want to talk or I can't contact them. Mm. Why do you think other mothers won't talk? I'm open, very open. And also, and also most, of the, most of the husbands still, are still alive. Yes. And they my really husband, don't want anyone husband talking husband about it. I'm just, I'm not, yeah. not, not a part of this. No. Yeah. Because we talk about it. Yeah. Now she can talk about it openly. Yes. Yeah. Because she's not hurting me. Yes. And you have a kind of unique circumstance in that your husband died yeah. and then you now have been married for a very long time. You have a yeah. strong relationship. So yeah. you, you can talk. You can talk about it. Yeah. But most women... Yeah. My girlfriend, she said, no, um, I don't do it because her husband is in life. Yeah. I can understand that. Yeah. Do you think... I would ever be able to speak to a father who who had a child of Karbat, who brought up a child. Do you think there will ever be husbands who would be happy to talk about that experience or I really don't know. I think no. 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 Our taxi was waiting to take us back to the airport. Lydia gave us another hug, and we left her and Fred in their apartment. I feel really overwhelmed actually after that. I feel I feel like I understand it all so much better. Lydia, I mean what what a life. Just to have to bear so much, to have to bear the shame of being sexually assaulted. The shame of not being able to have a baby, which wasn't even her shame. You know, her husband was infertile, but she couldn't tell anyone that. She was protecting him by not telling anyone that and then being blamed for being childless. And then this happening to her. You know, you could look at it one way, which would be, oh, he, he, he's finally making her dreams come true by giving her a baby. Or you can, you can look at it another way, which is he had an eye for vulnerability and he saw that she was unbelievably vulnerable. Oh, I just feel terrible. I, I just, I, I felt moved. I felt really close to tears several times in that conversation. Just, I felt like she, she didn't want much in life. She just wanted to have a child, which you know happens so easily for so many people. And the price that she's she's paid is having to carry the burden, the secret of, of having had donor-conceived children for so many years and then having discovered that this doctor abused her and that those are her words but that he abused her so awfully it's just incredibly unfair Next time, I'm going to meet the people determined to get justice for the mothers, fathers and children who were all victims of Jan Karbat. Some people would cry when this verdict came about and it was a very emotional setting and it meant a lot. The Immaculate Deception is a Something Else production. It was written and presented by me, Jenny Kleeman. Paul Smith is the producer, with additional production from Arlie Adlington. Mixing and sound design comes from Will Short at Spoke Media. The editor and executive producer is Peggy Sutton. 
Thank you to Magda Saron, Dan Cocker, Mark Rivers and Steve Ackerman. And thanks to Corrie Bramley for the translation help. If you identify with any of the issues we're reporting on and have a story you'd like to share with us, our email address is deception at somethingelse.com.